um, Dave and I really connected around this vision of mourning and, and um, as it connects to the message that God has really put on his heart about national repentance and mourning. And, um, you know, several times where I've heard Dave speak, it's just really released an intercessory spirit of mourning in a, in a new way. I was like, wow, that's new uh, to me. Not obviously not to God, but so I just really value um, what Dave is carrying, and um, and I think he has something to release to us today. So let's give it up for Dave. Amen, amen. So great to be here again this year, and every time I'm connected with ten days, God's doing something in me. He's taking me deeper and further, and helping me see things from His perspective. So what a joy it is to be with you. Um, yeah, that whole last name thing, it surprised me. I was happily doing campus ministry, you know, has nothing to do with warning or warn. I was just sharing the gospel, discipling students, and the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, I have something else for you to do now, and it's warning people, so only God has those things figured out, right, you know, and, and so yeah, my last name is not like Rick Warren, it's Warren, W-A-R-N, like I warn you, so <laughs> thanks Jonathan for bringing that up. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I get chills even now thinking about this. So, you know, I, I'm just going to share this really briefly. Um, I normally don't just because it's mostly not pertinent, but since we're talking about this anyway, um, I, uh, so the Lord lays it on our, my heart about starting Forerunners of America, warn the nation, help people respond in faith, that kind of thing. And, uh, and I'm trying to finish up complete my ministry responsibilities with my previous ministry. And I've been trying for a whole month, and I cannot do it finally. I move all the, my books and boxes. The office is moved out finally, and it's September 3rd. I have one last thing to do with that ministry. The evening is September 3rd, so my first full day with Forerunners of America, the new ministry we're launching, is September 4th. Why is that significant? Because September 4th is my birthday. And I, and I was kind of, yeah, just like that. Oh, yeah, Lord. Wow, you know, because I kept trying over a month to wrap up the previous ministry. It didn't happen. Well, anyway, I'm praying with my wife about a week later after my birthday, and the Lord says, related to all this, he says, you get it, but you don't get it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, okay, more mystery here. <laughs> I get it, but I don't get it. What do you mean? And he said to me, you get it that it was special that your first day in the new ministry was on your birthday. But what you don't get is that the reason that it was on your birthday, your first day with this new ministry is because you were born for this. So all the other ministry I'd done up to that point was in preparation, and it's just really awesome. So, yeah, Adam, my roomie over at the courtyard. It was September 4th of 2014. So I'm going to be 56 this September, so five years, so I was uh, 51. Okay. Uh-huh. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. 
Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you, Adam. Woo! I receive it. It's wisdom. Yeah, so using that guy's word, I had some major convergence at 51 years old on my birthday. That's awesome. Um, so basically what I want to share here is really simple. If I can just summarize it. Yeah, if I could get something to put my Bible on, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, but, you know, Jonathan began yesterday with some of the DNA of, of 10 days, and some of that DNA is um, repentance and fasting and mourning. And that's simply what I want to focus on here, and really simply the mourning piece, because I would say I had some disturbances in my soul, what's going on in uh, this nation and so forth, and that's why God launched me, but until... Uh, with the new ministry, but until Jonathan really sat me down in my backyard in July of 2015, I was not tracking with the biblical theme, what I would really call the heart of God, related to mourning. And, um, you know, normally when I speak, I don't have to do it here, but normally I have to really back up and say, now I didn't, I don't mean M-O-R-N-I-N-G, I mean M-O-U, like we're literally talking about like weeping, like being upset and all these kinds of things. And, well, anyway, um, so Jonathan has helped me put words on some things and help take things deeper, but also because of these things, just really to see this as the biblical theme that it is. If we spend a season of time in mourning, we're not going to end up, you know, needing counseling or antidepressants or something like that. It's actually connecting with the heart of God in a completely different kind of way. And that's what really what, what happened to me. So when Jonathan first shared this with me, um, I didn't know at that point, because I didn't listen to him well enough, I didn't know that we were allowed to pray for anything else. I thought we were just supposed to mourn for 10 days. Like, he's very clear. Pray for unity. Longing for Jesus' second coming. I didn't get any of that. All I got was the mourning piece. I'm like, here we go. Okay. So... Um, so anyway, the Lord began to, to put some pieces together for me. And if you have a Bible, um, if you can open it up um, to Luke chapter 19. I want to read this. And in Luke 19, um, uh, let me just pray for us quick first. Father, we're, we're grateful for um, your multidimensional, multifaceted heart. And Lord God, we just want to come and enter in to all that you have for us. So God, please guide us here. Um, Lord, not only this message, but I know that Grant is coming uh, soon and, and, and Greg and so forth. I pray, God, that we'd really enter your heart today in many ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in Luke uh, chapter 19, starting uh, verse 41, it's just right after his triumphant, uh, triumphal entry, and it says starting in verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. So there was a season of time when they could have received God's now message. They could have, the, the, you know, Jesus talks about elsewhere that the, the the tree is green. How, what's it going to be like for your life when it's not green anymore, when there's really true difficulty? I've been here on earth with you. The tree is green, and you could have heard it, and you didn't. You missed it. And he says, but now that door is closing, and now this truth of who I am and the, the, just things related to that, they're hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, 
For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And Jesus is saying, you could have recognized this. It was here. It was right before your eyes. And because of hard-heartedness, because of selfish ambition, because of entrapments of the world, whatever, you did not recognize. And that season is now over and that Jerusalem would uh, be defeated, collapse um, in 70 AD. So Jesus, though, he looks over and he wept. He wept. He was mourning. He was grieving. It doesn't or it didn't have to be this way. We had a different outcome that was in mind. And I'm weeping because now things have shifted. And I'm weeping because this door is closing. I'm weeping because of now what is in the future uh, of this people. And, you know, Jesus is feeling this. You know, you might remember in Hebrews chapter 5, it says during Jesus' days on earth that he cried out with a loud voice and wept. Now, in Hebrews 5, it does not seem to indicate that that was a one-time deal like when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with a loud voice and weeping. But it seems, the way Hebrews 5 is written, that it indicates this is part of Jesus' uh, prayer life. It's his characteristic of his prayer life, that he was in a loud voice crying out to the Father for what uh, he believed and what he wanted and what his desires were and what was going on and who knows how much spiritual battle was related to all of that. But he was also weeping in that. And that, you know, this is more or less what the Lord has been working on me for the last handful of years is not to move past the grievous nature of some of the things that are going on, to sit there, to feel it, to like connect with God's heart on all kinds of things. And so really to make this very practical related to 10 days and why we're here and all this kind of stuff. So we, we typically, I'm in southern Michigan, uh, Niles, Michigan, right by South Bend, Indiana, and then uh, Buchanan. We, we pray with our 10 days group there. And we typically take about the first half of those days getting low before the Lord. We move in mourning, repentance, fasting, all these things. The second half of the 10 days is typically when we shift towards other themes, whether it's the unity or it's the longing for Jesus' return, these kind of things. So this last September, we began the first night, and we said, Lord, we know that you're feeling things. We know that you're, you're mourning. What do you want us to mourn with you about over this first evening of 10 days? And the Lord he just began to pour out. And I think if we come to him with this kind of humility and this kind of brokenness uh, of our own uh, state in, in, in the state of our nation, these kinds of things, I think he is more than willing to pour out. And he begins to tell us things that were just so obvious to our prayer group, like this isn't our own ideas coming up with this. This is the Lord now showing us what to pray for and specifically what to mourn over. Okay, so the first thing that came up through this prayer group was there are secret sins 
within the church, secret sins within the body of Christ. And Jesus is mourning over the compromise that's within his own body. And so, bam, now we're down before the Lord. And here we go, going low before the Lord, day one of 10 days, because the Lord has showed us that this is what he is mourning about. So we have got to get low with him and mourn with him. Now, I don't want to like part and parcel things too um, specifically because there's great overlap with these principles. But I do want to try to highlight this the best I can. And that is, we did not go into repentance right away. The, the common thing when I'm with the body of Christ is we see something wrong. Immediately we're calling out the repentance. And immediately we're saying, Jesus or God, save, save us from X, Y, and Z sins, whatever. We feel like what the Lord is telling us to do, sit with me. Weep with me. Don't try to change anything right now. Well, now we will get to repentance, maybe even the next day, but not yet. He's just saying, now stay with me here. Feel this. Feel what I feel. Back to Luke uh, 19. Feel like Jesus was looking over the people, and he knew it says right here that the next generation was going to be crushed in this coming uh, uh, judgment of sorts at the in that paragraph. And Jesus saw those future generations, and he saw those kids, and he saw the pain, and he saw the hardness of heart that led them to that lack of faith, which they missed the blessing of his visitation, and he wept. We're not trying to fix anything yet. We're just sitting with him in his heart. And so that, that in September, that first night, that was the first thing that was brought up. The next thing, the Lord says this to us, he said, Jesus is excited about the upcoming wedding, and he's really excited about the bride. And he's kind of almost like a little giddy, excited, like the huge wedding is coming, and I cannot wait for my bride. And the Lord says this to us. This is what he's weeping over, what he's mourning over. He says this to us. He says, but my bride is preoccupied, busy with other things, and they're not even really thinking about the wedding. So here we have the Son of God. He's right there. I can't wait for the, 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 the chamber door to open and I can burst through and we can have the wedding now. Oh, my bride, I can't wait. This is Jesus' heart. And the bride is out building church programs or can't wait for the next sporting event on the weekend or is just busy with a hundred other things. And the Lord says, the Father says, I'm weeping that my church is not anticipating their own wedding. So we sit there. We don't start repenting. We don't start whatever. We sit there. We go, oh, my gosh. And this is often what comes out. We, instead of, like, how do you pray anything other than repentance? I mean, that's sort of part of what we've had to work through. And part of it was, Lord, we acknowledge we, your people, we have hurt your heart. So we're not asking for anything. We're not actually repenting. We're not calling on God to now stop abortion. God, we need this abortion. I mean, we, we will eventually pray that. But what I'm trying to highlight here is to really enter into this mourning. And he is mourning that the church is not anticipating his arrival and wedding. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says that there will be a crown of righteousness for everyone who longs for his appearing. And the Lord basically said to us, stay here with me on this, feel this, 
the bride is out busy doing other things and it's breaking my heart. Love me. Okay, so then we're continuing to pray and then uh, the Lord begins to reveal to us the next thing that he's mourning about. And the next thing was, was really how what we would phrase today, although he didn't phrase it exactly this way, but the breakup of the family. Like the Lord has such a, a beautiful vision for husbands and wives and to have kids and all kinds of time together and laughter. And I think my African friends understand this a lot better than, uh, than uh, Americans. But the, the vision that God has, and he was even being specific with us. He was even saying things like, because mom and dad are so busy with their careers, that's not my plan for the family. My plan for the family was for the family to be together, enjoy each other, and to love each other, and to grow in that safety of family because mom and dad are so present, and the kids love being with mom and dad, and all of these kinds of things. And he's like mourning. He's telling us he's mourning over the condition of the family in America. And then adding a layer to that, he said, and then the kids get too busy, and they're in all these kinds of programs. Every kid is in all these sporting events or theater or a hundred other things. He's like, this crazy, frenetic pace, this isn't what my heart was for the family. And he, so we just sit there. We sit there with him and we just mourn with him because we've missed, and this is literally how God gave it, we missed the joy that he had designed for us in our families, our nuclear families, our extended families. And like, so we'd sit there just sit there and recognize it. It was very specific, even as specific of, of now that there's such a fragmentation within the family, whether we look at big things like gay marriage, which obviously is a departure from his purpose of family, or what we look at smaller things like our teenage kids or younger on video games all the time. Well, again, we're not here to preach against video games, but we are saying that there's some relational dynamics that are really eroding or an undercurrent against family as God intended it to be. So anyway, then um, the Lord be, continued to show us things. And so this is how we spent this last September, our first evening together. And like you, and I know John is, Jonathan has said as much, but sometimes this word mourning, it's not exactly attractive or something that people are getting excited about. But this is what's helped me to, to, to call people into the serious nature of this thing, but, but not to say it a different way, but not to compromise what we're actually doing. And what the Lord has shared with me and we share with other people is, will you join us for 10 days because we're going to get low before the Lord? Now, what we mean by going to get low before the Lord is everything that Jonathan articulated yesterday. But that phrase, it's like people don't seem so put off by it. People seem to be almost like drawn in by it. Like, wow, I've never gotten low before the Lord. And we're going to take days to do it, and we need to do that. Exactly. So, um, so anyway, it's been the whole morning piece has been rich. It's been meaningful. It's been a fresh way over the last few years of connecting with God. It's been different. It's been a new way of humbling ourselves. I, I often think of fasting as a quick way to bring myself into humility. But this morning thing has been also a way of just slaying our pride real quick. We're coming in to cry, to weep over the condition of things. And... Um, 
so I, I want to highlight a couple other scriptures here and then kind of bring it in the national context as 10 days is a national thing. And obviously, the ministry I'm doing right now is very burdened by this as well. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. We should not immediately in our churches think mourning, negative, get me away from that. That sounds awful. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, the, the condition or the state of that person that mourns will be of the ultimate state that he intends. Now, if you think about the previous verse, it's very important. The previous beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit means I recognize my personal sin. I recognize that I have nothing to offer a holy God. My righteousness is like filthy rags. So there we are, Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if that's true, in that context of Jesus' Beatitudes, we are supposed to be mourning about our spiritual condition. In other words, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that their sin, their, their, where they fell short. Blessed are those who realize that, that God is holy and they're not. So that is what we're mourning about. The next one, blessed are those who mourn. The, the next beatitude, blessed are the, are the meek. Because once we've, we've come to that place of brokenness over our own personal sin and mourned over that, then we're meek, we've gone into that humility. Then next it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it's like a progression, and God is saying, if you will go low with me through understanding being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, you're, you're going to go low there, but that's going to cre create a hunger in you, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there's going to be something that starts to well up within you that says, I want more. Basically, I want more of God. And that's going to come from that low place. Th this whole topic, it reminds me of the East African revival that um, went through several decades of the 20th century. But in the East African revival, they had this principle. They said, the deeper the roots, the greater the fruits. Meaning the deeper the roots, and let me put this in 10 days language, the deeper the roots of repentance, fasting, and mourning, the greater the fruits that would burst forth. So to go high, you went low. So all of this, I believe, is part of what, what Jesus is, is getting at. Now, when Jonathan talked about the word that the Lord gave him, it was from um, Revelation 18, I think it was verses, verse 6 or 7 in there, but anyway, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before my return, okay? So when Jonathan laid out the vision to me, that's the main thing that, that stuck out to me. So Babylon being a worldly system, and it's going to refuse to mourn, well, what are we supposed to mourn about when uh, we see Jesus coming, his, his second coming nearing? But then the Lord just said, you know what? Really, this posture, this hum humble posture of mourning, it's throughout the scriptures, and it was supposed to be there all the time. It's not only for before Jesus comes, although it is, because we will contrast Babylon, amen? But 
Think of James chapter 4. What does James chapter 4 tell all Christians in all generations and all cultures to do? James chapter 4 says, yeah, turn your laughter into mourning. Meaning, if you read James chapter 4, it is like uh, what we see in American culture today. It is a party, it is arrogant, it is, everything's flying high, nothing can touch me, I fly above the clouds, all this kind of stuff. And James says, stop it. He said, turn your laughter into mourning. And that's all, for all times. Um, again, as I already said, there's a blessing in mourning according to Jesus' Beatitudes. Now, um, just want to wrap up here um, uh, before we go into some prayer. Um, with a couple uh, passages that hit this thing on a national level. And to the degree that God calls um, each of us to, to lead and to own 10 days, and I think after last night, um, that there's a higher commitment, uh, there's a thing towards the 10 days vision. Um, we want to own this thing nationally as well. So, uh, two passages we're going to look at here. The first one is Isaiah uh, chapter 22, and it's, uh, I'm starting in verse 1. It says, the oracle concerning the valley of vision. So this is a valley by Jerusalem that the prophets went and they'd, he they'd hear from the Lord. It's called the valley of vision. And it goes on to say, what is the matter with you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who were full of noise, you boisterous town, you exultant city. Now stop there. They're having a party. The economy looks good. There's a lot of coffee options to, to, to go for, and, and, and the theaters are full, and, the, and so forth. And it goes on to say, your slain were not slain with the sword, nor did they die in battle. So how were they slain? How did they die? Verse 3, all your rulers have fled together. Your leadership didn't care about you. They didn't care about the people. They were about themselves. And it goes on to say, and have been captured without the bow. So these cowards ran from their own people, the leaders, and, and they're, they're captured by the enemy. It goes on to talk about this. All of you who were found were taken captive together, though they had fled far away. Therefore, I say, turn your eyes away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not try to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. So here we see the heart of God. He himself has gone into mourning. He himself is weeping. Verse 5, for the Lord God of hosts has a day of panic, of subjugation and confusion in the valley of vision, a breakdown of walls and a crying to the mountain. Elam took up the quiver with the chariots, infantry and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. Then your choicest valleys were full of chariots, meaning the enemy had filled the valley. And the horsemen took up fixed positions at the gate. Verse 8, and he, God, removed the defense of Judah. So because of the, the dynamics that's gone on in the nation and rebellion and so forth, even God himself has removed his hand of protection. It's a, he goes on to explain what they did wrong. It says in the next part of verse 8, it says, In that day you depended on the weapons of the house of the forest, so you're depending upon your, your military armory. Verse 9, And you saw the breaches in the wall of the city of David were many. 
the enemy's actually getting in physically, and you collected the waters of the lower pool. Then you counted the houses of Jerusalem and tore down the houses to fortify the wall. So they go into a hyper-prepping mode or defense mode where everything's going wrong, and now they take their own houses to build fortifications. It says, uh, and you made a reservoir between the, uh, verse t 11, and you made a reservoir between the two walls for the waters of the old pool, but you did not depend on him who made it, nor did you take into consideration him who planned it long ago. So it's all about a s distressing situation. The enemy has surrounded Jerusalem. The enemy is breaking in, and it's all about trusting in self for self-protection. But this is what I really wanted to get to, verse 12 and following. Therefore, in that day, the Lord of hosts called you to weeping and wailing. He's calling the people. He's calling the nation to mourning. And it says he called them to the shaving the head and to wearing of sackcloth. These are postures of humility and a dependence on the Lord who did make them. Verse 13, instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle, slaughtering of sheep, eating of the meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is awesome. We're having fun. Verse 14, but the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me. Surely this iniquity shall not be forgiven you until you would die, says the Lord God of hosts. God literally calls the nation into mourning. They do not do it because they want to keep the party going. It's too much fun. And God says that, um, that, that this will be made reckoned in the final day. You will be re uh, uh, yeah, reckoned for this whole thing. But the point being is that God, when there is wild waywardness, wild rebellion, when craziness is going on in a culture, God calls the people to mourn over that culture. You might remember in Daniel chapter 9 when, when Daniel's got his lengthy prayer of confession and repentance, he doesn't say the problem was with all those awful non-Christians out there. He says, we did it. He said, includes himself, I did it. He is crying out to the Lord for mercy because of what's going on. Um, let's look at one other revealing passage, and that would be Amos. Um, so Hosea, Joel, Amos in chapter 6. Now at the end of chapter 5, we're going to have a fairly similar situation here, but, um, but in verse 23 of chapter 5 of Amos, it says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. My friends, in American church culture, we love worship and how the worship team leads us. But if we are not following the Lord deep in our hearts in faith, humility, and obedience, he's saying, turn your sound system off. Take the musicians off the platform. You, you've got some serious work to do in your hearts. And, he, and it's, this becomes clear as you read on. It says in verse 24, but instead of all of this musical sort of um, pretentious worship taking place, verse 24 but let, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, they don't do it. It goes on to say that they're talking about false gods. So follow with me now into chapter 6. So because of this whole scenario where the people are not mourning and humility and repentance, we get uh, chapter 6. It says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Some translations say comfort. 
And to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations. So God is saying that in Zion or Jerusalem and in Samaria, the northern kingdom, who that's still around at this point in Amos's day, he is saying that you are the foremost of nations. And yet, in verse 2, he explains, go over to Calneh and look, and go over there to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Meaning, is Zion and Samaria better than those kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity, and would you bring near the seat of violence? Meaning, these Israelites, they continue to go on in pride and comfort and feeling secure, and they don't realize that God has dealt with other great nations, and they think that somehow they're going to get a pass on this thing. But where things really get interesting and connected to our day and hour here in America is verse 4. Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and, like David, have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls, or like some say they're drinking wine by the bowlful, while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. This is a prosperous culture. Things are going well. You would not think that there was any difficulty right around the corner. But watch what God says next there um, in verse 6. So right after the finest of oils, it says, Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will go into exile at the head of the exiles, and the sprawler's banqueting will pass away. The party will end. And this is so significant because God is saying, I called you to humility, weeping, and mourning, and you didn't do it. You kept the party going. So now you're going to be the first to go into exile. This mourning thing, and even national mourning, this is a big deal to the Lord. We need to get low before him. We need to seek him in these kinds of ways. And uh, yes, we believe in the joy of the Lord. Um, if I can say something that's going to sound contradictory, but it's more of a paradox than kind of contradictory. As I get low before the Lord and really met with that, met with him that way, I actually have experienced more joy. I know that sounds backwards and, and, and contradictory, but Nevertheless, I believe that God is calling his people into this. And when you look at our nation today, is there anything that we should be mourning about? You know, and I, I actually want to um, open it up here just uh, a, a little bit in terms of, like, where, where do we feel in our spirits that God is grieving in this nation? Like, what would be some areas that you would suggest that as we go low before the Lord that we should bring before him and feel what he's feeling? Yeah, abortion is at the top of my list as well. And if any of you just saw the movie Unplanned, it's a hard movie to watch um, because there's some real gruesome aspects to the whole abortion industry and what's going on there. Um, and I just thank the Lord how he got a hold of Abby Johnson and how she left the abortion clinic and so forth. But, like, Abby Johnson in that one scene, she's crying. She's left the abortion clinic, but in eight years, 
she realized that she was part of murdering 22,000 babies. And she's crying in that season, scene. She's going before the Lord. She's mourning. And when you look at our nation, the blood, the innocent blood, is on our hands before a living God. And we need to get low before him. We have hurt his heart. Every baby had a destiny, and every destiny was cut off, regardless of how you explain it. So, but there's another aspect to the abortion area uh, that brings me low before the Lord. And that is, yes, we ended all these lives, but also in that disobedience, we added a layer of spiritual darkness to the land. And the enemy came in in a different way because we are living now as a pagan culture. A classic characteristic of pagan cultures is that they kill their own children. Well, that's where we've been since 1973. We just have kind of tried to soft, soften that message a little bit. But here's the point. We've let the enemy in a different way. Now the enemy has a greater opportunity to deceive the younger people in the next generation. Our generation, too. But I'm saying... We get low before the Lord and we mourn because now my kids, my kids who are in their early 20s, my kids now have to deal with a fight that they would not have had to fight if we had been a righteous nation. But they've been born into this and they're in a cloudy, uh, I want to say a confusion that's been allowed into our nation because of this, this wild rebellion in the area of abortion. Okay, so there's a grieving over the kids, but there's a grieving over, over what we've allowed into our nation because of it. Okay. All right, so what's another thing, another topic in terms of getting low before the Lord and, and something that you believe he is mourning about? Yeah. Right, right. So sexual perversions of all kinds, is that more or less a way we could summarize that? Or? There's the sexualization of the whole culture. And we want to get below or beneath the Lord and say, Lord, we're sorry. Lord, we have hurt your heart. You're grieving over this. And I do. I think of my boys again in their early 20s. Like, they have challenges. It wasn't that, that America was pure when I was in college, but they have challenges right now that are different than mine, and they're deeper, and they're more pervasive. And I mourn over that. I mourn that it seems like the last few generations were handing the next generation over to a greater depravity. This, this is highlighting the, the sexualization. Um, you know, God grieves, I believe, too, like so many of the, being in campus ministry all those years, so many um, addicted to pornography, and obviously uh, we all know these stories and are helping people, helping each other get out of pornography, all this kind of stuff. 
But God, I believe, grieves because this is the last thing on his mind. He never meant that a whole generation would be just so ensnared in pornography and the sexualization of people and all this kind of stuff. And so we just sit there and we grieve with him, again, even before we actually go into the prayers of repentance. So, yeah, uh, does anything else come to mind? Okay, Grant. Wow, I think you're right. So we get low before the Lord because we have ignored his firstborn and how the one new man is to come together. We haven't pursued his heart on that. So who knows, maybe even in some of our fellowships, we've contributed to the division of the one new man. So we get low and we confess and repent. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so we see hate, we see divisiveness, and if I can just expand it, we have political divisiveness, there's also racial divisiveness, there's also economic divisiveness, like class warfare. There's like this divisiveness, and you, when you look at our nation, we in so many ways have invited the enemy in to uh, fuel us or, or stir us up towards his strategy of divide and conquer. Let us fight against each other, and then he comes in and just can conquer. A house divided cannot stand. And so we grieve. We grieve that while Jesus modeled love, he showed us love, we know what we are to do, that we have contributed to the hatred, the divisiveness, these kinds of things. Um, yeah, anything, anything else? Yeah. Divorce. And, you know, I as I studied this a little bit more, I just got so burdened. You know, um, no-fault divorce entered our nation in 1969. That's when the first state went with no-fault divorce laws. The problem with that is that, according to the scriptures, Jesus said that he allowed it under Moses, that when the Pharisees came and asked Jesus about this, he allowed it because of their hardness of heart somebody, maybe both husband and wife, but somebody's always at fault, Jesus said, because of hardness of heart. So you, you enter in with an easy divorce. You enter in with um, the f- more fragmentation to the family. And then, rather than we couldn't blame this one on the U.S. Supreme Court, because we did this one state at a time until in 2010, the last of our 50 states past no-fault divorce laws, which is just one aspect of what you're bringing up in terms of us, the people, choosing divorce. But this is how I'm explaining it went through government, which means that we have really uh, rebelled against the living God because he does hold marriage as sacred. Did you know this? Before that, in 1969, before that first state passed, I mean, in every state, you actually, your husband and wife, you were, were wanting to pursue divorce. You actually had to go before a judge, and you actually had to communicate why there were reasons why this marriage is not going to work. You actually had to have a reason. Somebody actually was at fault, but we've dismissed this and made, and made it another area for the enemy to get in and to, um, you know, capitalize on these things. So this is what I'd like us to do. Um, 
I would like us to take some time with the people around us. Maybe there's one or two people around you. And in this humble posture, I would like us all to go before the Lord and say, Lord, we have hurt your heart because, and fill in the blank, don't ask the Lord to do anything. Don't try to resolve this and come up with some energetic prayer where now God's going to come down from heaven and solve everything for us. Just sit with him on this thing. Feel what your heavenly father feels. So um, if you can do that now, if you can find one or two people um, next, that you're by and you can um, and just begin to uh, enter in to mourning over specific issues and specific things that are going on, whether it's personal to you or it's national. But let's go into this season of mourning.
Jesus. Alan, would you just come up? We're going to... Alan Parker. Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, it just seems like um, we're going to have Greg share um, in just a minute, but I just wanted to give you a chance to share your heart on, um, as we're talking about national mourning, just to share your heart on this for a few minutes. And I feel like we have committed the four great sins that can bring national destruction. And to me, the first and the greatest of those sins is forsaking God. As a nation, we had a special relationship with, a, with God. I hate the word American exceptionalism because it wasn't Americans who were special, but we did try to base our law on the law of God. And we tried to follow God. Like every Christian, we didn't always do it, but then we would have days of repentance and humiliation and ask God to forgive us and try to get back on right path. But in 1962, our Supreme Court broke that covenant with God in the Engel v. Vitale school prayer case saying, we don't want you anymore in our schools or in our government or anything in American life. So I believe that may have been a reflection of the heart of America at the time, why it was allowed to do it, but they had the official authority to make that decision and all of us live under that curse that they brought. Um, the second thing, and, and in Hosea 4, 6 it says, God says, if you forget my law, I will forget your children. Could God ever forget our children? Yes, if we forget his law, he forgets our children. My people perish for lack of vision. They often say that, the second part of that is, you, because you have forgotten my law, I will forget your children. And so what happened? 62, uh, they did that. Uh, 63, the, 62, the walls came down. The Eastern religions came into America. And they said they felt the walls came down from America and they could finally come in. Because the Supreme Court said, we do not want your help. We do not want your protection. We'll do it on our, all, our own. So the walls of protection came down. And uh, we got the sexual revolution beginning in 62. And then who was hurt the most in that? Our children, I believe, in the sexual revolution. It was those young people who were preyed upon. And uh, then in 70, 1969, 70, 71, uh, the major states uh, adopted no-fault divorce. And again, who is the primary victim of no-fault divorce? It's the children. Who's forgotten in that? Doesn't matter about the children. We're not doing anything for the best interest of children. It's a fiction in the law. We're doing what the adults want. And, uh, and there was no legal marriage anymore in America. I always thought we would lose the gay marriage thing because we didn't even protect regular marriage. All they were getting is what we got. And we did that to ourselves through the voluntary legislative acts. But I believe it was related to the Supreme Court taking the, the laws out. 1973, we committed the great, second great sin, shedding innocent blood on a massive scale. So the children were not only forgotten in divorce. In 73, we literally began killing children in America. Just like Hosea 4, 6 said, you forget my law, I will forget your children. 
So we began killing children in 1973. The third great sin is sexual immorality on a vast scale. Sexual immorality wages war against the soul. It's not a choice. It's an attack plan by Satan. The Bible says, refrain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. So when we allow all the sexual immorality, millions more souls will go to hell because of that strategy. It makes it more difficult for people to get out of it and go to God. And the fourth great sin is greed, mammon. Because even Sodom and Gomorrah in Ezekiel, it says about them, uh, you were fat and arrogant and careless and you didn't take care of the poor and you committed abominable acts. It wasn't just homosexuality that we think of. Uh, sometimes the straight people think it's that. And I'm straight. I don't mean that. But, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's one of the things I mourn. The homosexuals have perverted the entire culture. If two girls are holding hands today, you wonder, are they practicing lesbians? Whereas girls used to hold hands all the time in high school. Girls love to hold each other's hands. Uh, two guys, I, I won't stay in a hotel room with a guy anymore. Whereas two guys used to, you know, if we were on a business trip, you were safe. We, not, we knew not to have anything with women. It just perverts things. Uh, it just perverts everything. It perverts the home and everything. So uh, I believe we have to restore righteousness in America through massive repentance. And I believe God is moving to end abortion. I believe the election of Donald Trump was the most miraculous, amazing thing that's ever happened in American history. God told me in 2000 that I was supposed to collect women's testimonies, go back to the court, and that God would end the, end the covenant with death. Isaiah 28 says, uh, For I, the Lord, will rise up as at Mount Berezim. I'll be stirred up as in the Valley of Gibeon to do my amazing work, my extraordinary task, my unusual alien thing. And the election of Donald Trump was the most alien thing in American political history. People still think it's an alien, right? And it was about abortion. And God is ending the covenant of death. Isaiah 28, 14 says, uh, I will make justice the measuring line. I'll make righteousness the plumb line. Waters will overflow the secret place. And a lot of that are the tears of repentance and acknowledging the pain and confessing what's been done. And the waters will overflow the secret place and your covenant with death will be annulled. The agreement with the grave will not stand. One of the things that brought destruction to Jerusalem was the shedding of innocent blood. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. It will bring destruction to America. It pollutes the land. It empowers demons. And I do believe God is in the process, but we need massive repentance throughout America. And we need to repent of those four sins. So I believe we all, I, my prayer is that a million repentance preachers would be raised up. I'm glad to see you here, brother. And warning America, um, but respond in faith. That's what it is. But we've got to warn America. We've got to bring, repent. There are lots, uh, you know who's having a day of mourning? The activist mommy, Elizabeth Johnson. 
when New York did that, she had a day of mourning in Albany, New York, and at least three or 4,000 people came together. Kim Chadwell of Kim Chadwell Ministries is a woman. God's raising up a lot of Esthers. She's taken a coffin all over America representing the unborn. And on May 1st, they're going to have a funeral for the unborn in all the 50 state capitals. Just a days of mourning. We've got to mourn. And we'll either mourn because we, God breaks our hearts or he'll break our nation. And the persecution and the disasters will make us all mourn. There's a happy message in there. Yeah. Yeah, Alan is, um, yeah, I just didn't feel like we could, Pat, since Alan was here, I don't, didn't feel like we could just move on from that. Um, this is from Lincoln's second Im inaugural, um, speaking about slavery. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Notice he includes both North and South as responsible. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war might speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen two, bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, until every drop of blood drawn with a lash shall be paid by another drawn with a sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So let's... Alan, those four, those four things again, just, it's forsaking and greed. Okay. Four national sins. Janice had an uh, impression she just wanted to share, and I think that's going to lead us into another prayer time, um, uh, but a little different. Janice is going to share. Um, first off, I want to say Thank you so much for that, because I, um, I don't think I understood exactly what it meant to connect with God's heart in mourning. I was so quick to try and fix things, but something in leading us through that exercise just there, I, um, I've experienced a fair amount of grief in my own life, and I didn't realize that, I mean, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> um, When you're around a grieving person, um, you don't want to use too many words. You want to just sit and feel with them what they're feeling and cry with them their tears. And, and um, so as I was sitting there, I asked God what was on his heart, as you said, to to grieve what he was grieving about and what came to my mind was just the word industry. And I immediately understood that he meant the way in we and heaven, our arrogant pride, coming and taking his beautiful design and made this awful mock up thing from it and our arrogance tampering with his 
his creation through science and medicine and all these <laughs> presumptuous, presumptuous things we've done that have just made such death. And so I just acknowledged it verbally and then I sat there and I thought within it. And it broke my heart because I just saw it in my mind. It gave him space to speak what he was feeling. And I saw in my mind this beautiful, gorgeous giraffe. And then it was gone and in its place was this giraffe-like thing <laughs> that was dead and patched together with pieces of metal and electronics. <laughs> and that's what we've done. <laughs> but I had to give him space so that he could speak, so I could feel his heart and see what he's seeing so that I could cry with him about it. Because it's awful. <laughs> and what really got me was when I saw there were several things like this. I saw a giraffe, I saw an elephant, and then I saw a human. <laughs> and each was so beautiful until this <laughs> destroyed <laughs> through presumptuous improvements. And um, so as I was sitting crying and just weeping with him, I no judgment here, but I heard a lot of prayers and a lot of words. And um, and I just want to encourage you all, there don't need to be many words in mourning. There needs to be a space, a holy space, to see what he's seeing and feel what he's feeling. And, and, I, and it hurt. At the end, I was, I was grateful and I was honored and it was a joy because I got to hold a piece of his heart in my heart. So, um, Jonathan's asked me to lead into a, a time of prayer and I would just, I don't know if someone wants to just have soft music or something. If you feel led, if not, we'll do it in silence. But um, I just uh, encourage you to pray that simple prayer David said Lord what what's on your heart what's grieving you right now and when he gives you that word just think about it and give him the space to speak and show you what he sees in it to feel his heart and just once you've acknowledged it don't feel like you have to say anything just sit with his heart in your
Lord, take us deeper. Show us how to receive from your heart, Lord. Show us how we can partner with you, how we can walk with you. Thank you, Jesus.